thinking as an industrial designer in New Zealand, there's only, you know, you can only work for Fisher and Paykel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's not true. Like, well, it's potentially true in one way in that, you know, being a industrial designer, there are very few jobs in New Zealand, but using the skills that you learn doing industrial design, mm. there are lots of different things, like it's applicable to a lot of different things. Brad is an award-winning designer known for his work on Apollo 13, an interactive theater experience based on NASA's Apollo 13 mission to the moon. We talk about his journey as a designer and some of the important lessons he's learned along the way. Hope you enjoy. I, have you ever had an experience where you um, started recording something or set something up and then forgot about it, right? And then just to, just to later on realize that the battery ran out or the memory ran out? Yeah, totally. <laughs> I know that one. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. It's so bad, like especially when like people are counting on it. Eh? Yeah, remember that happening during when we were trying to, because we did the show about Apollo thirteen, and we started chatting to some of the original mission mission controllers. Yeah, and we ended up going over to Texas and like interviewing them and going into mission control with them, and they were like showing us all yeah. around, and the yeah my um, GoPro battery ran out like halfway through and it's like yeah Whoa. wait you got to interview actual space people yeah like the actual mission controllers what yeah it was pretty sweet inside mission control room. yeah how how'd you set that up just met so we when we first did apollo we got this message from this guy called oh god what's his name I'm trying to remember his name gone at the moment anyway and we're like hang on that name's familiar like yeah. who is that and he Cy Liebergott yeah guy's name. And like that's a familiar name like what what's going on here so we googled him and he was ecom which is one of the main roles in mission control yeah during the Apollo program and yeah. we were like okay so obviously he he's got like a Google alert on tracking anything to do with Apollo 13 yeah. and just gets pinged whenever something came up and our show came up. Yeah. So he contacted us and we stayed in contact with him and then he put us on to this guy called Jerry Bostick who was um, FIDO, which is another position in Mission Control and we became kind of even closer to him. And so when we went over to the States, he came along to our show and then we went back and him and this guy John Aaron, who was like, kind of one of the more famous mission controllers. We met them in Texas and had like barbecue and stuff. And then they took us into mission control and we um, like interviewed them in there and they told us what was happening. And like, yeah, it was quite amazing. That's insane. Yeah. So you didn't even reach out to these people. They somehow the found first what you're- found us. Yeah. 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 Man, that's, that's like some law of attraction stuff going on there. Totally, yeah, 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 <laughs> totally. It was, and it's quite amazing, like they, they almost didn't even remember what they'd done because they were like, yeah. everything was so mechanical back then. Yeah. 
and like using slide rules and calculating and stuff. They're like, it's all stuff that would be super simple to do on a computer now. But they were like sitting like at these consoles with these like numbers coming through and they're like, couldn't even really tell you what's on the screen anymore. Yeah. You're like, we don't even know. Wow. Yeah. Oh man, because I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but they were using you and the Apollo project as as one of the what the one of the examples of what you might be able to do after a design degree at yeah. Victoria University years after you're gone. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, and I always wondered who this guy was, and it, it was crazy to run into years and years later in the studio. It was such a, I think that's kind of, I'm kind of, I'm quite happy about that because it's kind of like when I first started doing it, I was like, oh my God, why did I do this industrial design degree? Like I'm doing something that's not even industrial design. But then when you kind of step, step back, you're like, this is totally industrial design. Like this is, <laughs> and those skill, that like skill set is so, any design skill set is so mm. transferable that. Yeah, so it's kind of like, yeah, it totally is. It's a valid, a valid thing to, to yeah. do. I mean, it, it's not necessarily a money-making thing to do, mm. but I'm sure going to work for Porsche would probably make you a lot more money, but hey, you know. And is that, do you still describe yourself when you introduce yourself to, to others as industrial designer, or what do you tell people that I just say I'm a designer now. Like... Yeah. <laughs> Because I've done done product stuff, mm. I've done spatial stuff, I'm now doing kind of software stuff and interface, and it's all it's all within the same world. So it's just like it's just design. Yeah, I mean, I, I found um, comfort behind the designer title for the same reason. It's like it's both vague enough for you to be able to move a lot in between, and also accepted enough. Yeah. Like, for it to it to be you know oh okay he's a designer yeah 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 but most of the time they're like oh then what do you design yeah that's always the question they ask after yeah yeah what, totally. what do you say to that one at the moment software because that keeps me the most busy but it's kind of like I always have that caveat of yeah. like because it's good like I've got the kind of side project the together project which I'm doing which is kind of like my passion project that I can kind of keep going and know that oh, if I ever get bored of this, I can kind of stop and kind of carry on with that mm. or just kill some time and go, oh, I just would need to switch over to something different now. Mm. Um, but at the moment, yeah, I'd say software design because it's kind of what I'm doing and it's, um, it's pretty interesting. Mm. Uh, and just, just for some context, um, do, you, do you want to say a little something about the Together project or is that completely... No, no, that's, um, so it's the, the concept of, that I came up with seeing my daughter watching uh, the Magic School Bus. And I've been working on this idea of taking sort of interactive theatre that we've been doing with Apollo and kind of making it a little bit more, bit bigger and a bit more technologically advanced. Mm. I was exploring Ender's Game as a concept around, you know, the sort of idea of multiple people working together as a team within a space. And that led me to the concept of geodesic domes and projecting the space within a geodesic dome. 
the Ender's Game concept was quite big, and so we're like, okay, we need to kind of pull this back. What would be a prototype? And that's when I saw my daughter watching the Magic School Bus, and I was like, okay, this is really interesting because the whole idea of the Magic School Bus is like it's these kids inside a bus that can go anywhere. Yeah. And that was kind of the cool thing about the dome is that you've got people inside the dome and you can kind of take them anywhere. Um, and that kind of, we applied for funding, got some funding from Screenwrites Australia to kind of explore how you can use visual media and video media as a way to educate kids who don't have access to stuff like that. Mm. Um, and so, you know, the, the initial plan was to buy a dome and the domes were really expensive. So we're like, okay, we're going to find a dome, do a kind of test version of the season inside that dome and then get investment to buy our own dome and tour around. And so we started working with Stardome and then obviously the pandemic hit. And so it's like, okay, Stardome's closed. The idea of like bringing kids together to kind of like collaborate mm. on stuff probably isn't totally kosher at the moment. So then we pivoted again and went, okay, well, what if we take the concept, build the dome within a VR experience? So it's the same as being there live, except virtual. Mm. Then we can kind of prototype it, work out what the projection is, how the interface works, present it to sponsors, get more money to go back into Stardome mm. when we can, and then hopefully get more money from that to buy our own dome to tour. So it's kind of these two extra steps have been added along the way, but mm. I like I find the VR thing really interesting at the moment because I think it's while it's missing the kind of key element that mm. is live theatre, which is live and having a human there, using it as a kind of way to prototype. I think is going to be a really fascinating whether it works or not I don't know but I think just being able to see the space interact and interact with it and because the interaction is such a key part of you know the interactive theater being able to prototype that interaction is I think will probably be really valuable mm. so um, yeah we've, we've kind of built up a little team and we're gonna attack that over the next few months and see what comes of it I'm so excited. Yeah. So, <laughs> and and the pro I was I I gave a talk on prototyping the other day, and a part of it was I used the SpaceX thing as a case study, and ultimately their mission is for humans to be an interplanetary species, and uh, they're kind of working towards an MVP of having a colony on Mars, right, and then. That's the ultimate vision, but then if you look at everything that SpaceX has done, they're obviously they're not they're not going to go straight there. They've kind of staged it into okay, what are the prerequisite things that needs to happen if we, if that wants to happen, um, and that's why they're doing the things they're going about it in the way that they have. And I think like designers are really good at you know like how you've. Um, not just reacted to the COVID thing, but responded to it in a way that 
keeps keeps the you're, you're still on the same mission and you're still able to take steps towards it um, with prototypes yeah mm. that's totally that's totally the thing it's like that there's there's also kind of so little funding for these kind of exploratory projects yeah. that when you get some you've kind of got to go okay this thing's come up how do I kind of pivot mm. to make sure that I can that I'm not just wasting this money or appear to be mm. wasting this money um, and like as someone who's kind of received a reasonable amount of funding from like Creative New Zealand and other funders you always have this kind of worry in the back of your mind yeah. like I don't want to appear like I'm taking this for granted I want to make sure I deliver something you know enough to keep going um, while on the other hand knowing that the amount of funding you get is not nearly enough to survive mm. so you kind of always have to have other stuff that you're doing in order to do the things that you want to do mm. um, like there's kind of the um, the odd designer who kind of gets to the point where they kind of get to do like I think um, is it Steven Sagmeister? Stefan, Stefan Sagmeister, Stefan Sagmeister. Yeah. and he takes like every fourth year yeah. he takes off yeah and I, I didn't know that yeah he, so he works three years in a studio and then just spends a year in like Thailand or Bali or something yeah. and and he uses that to kind of reset his brain and get excited about doing design yeah. again that's like wow that would be an amazing position to get to but yeah. um you know it's one of those kind of aspirational it's not as aspirational as mm. an acting career where you know actors are like you can you're either up here mm. or you're somewhere down here like designs a bit more there's a bit more of a gradient but there's certainly those right. few who kind of get to the top and you're like it'd be so awesome to be you yeah i mean that's i have a lot of problems with with that picture because i i've been reading this book sapiens yeah and uh i get the i get the sense that the way that we're kind of biologically designed you know our hardware is optimized for a, a kind of a lifestyle that is very much seasonal you're not doing the same thing all year round yeah you can't yeah you have to be good at multiple things in fact they think you know i'm reading a chapter about how people uh humans used to move around you know um with the seasons um until agriculture happened and it became more beneficial to just stay in one place and do, do all this kind of stuff and so if you look at the modern career it's like okay you figure out what you want to do when you're 18 and then you do that for 40 years yeah <laughs> and then you just keep doing it and yeah, there's no yeah. seasons it's like you're you know um, and 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 that idea of um stefan segmeister going like you know saying every once every four years he's gonna like it's a season for him to not express but to take in mm, yeah you know? um, i think that kind of idea of seasonality is kind of what appeals to me about design like project-based work mm. where you're always changing what you're doing yeah and sometimes quite fundamentally like oh kind of one of our projects at the moment is to do with you know optimizing construction processes another one is looking at how do you sell tickets to mm. a theater 
and then the other one is obviously kind of dome based um, info infotainment if you like yeah. um, and I think that kind of being able to jump between those is it's definitely something that I kind of personally need mm. um, and I think if I was I think if I was offered a job you know that paid me a bunch of money but was going to be the same thing every day I just don't think I would I'd probably take it to start with and I just don't think I'd last mm. I just kind of personally need that kind of variety to make sure that I'm sort of keeping myself occupied. Mm, I, to, yeah, I'm, I'm the same. Like, I, I can't remember who the quote is by, but I remember someone, some, some famous quote person <laughs> um, saying, I can't imagine nothing more terrifying than getting paid a lot of money to do something that I don't like. <laughs> Yeah. for a long period, <laughs> yeah, totally. period of time. Yeah, it would just be, it'd be grim. And It's Tom Sachs, that's who he is. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah, like, yeah. can you imagine getting paid to a lot of money? <laughs> that's definitely someone who just does what he wants to do. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, that, that's it. He's, he's probably another one, like Sagmeister, who he, he just kind of gets to pick and choose. And, yeah. Yeah. So I guess when you started off, did you always imagine that you do like space space related theater while working on startups? Like, uh, how has how has uh, your career turned out uh, in a way that you didn't expect to? In a way, I I always thought I would work in a studio, like. Um, I got, when I was in, just after I graduated, um, Simon Fraser hooked me up with an interview at IDO in San Francisco. Oh, wow. And so I went in there and I just kind of suddenly realized this would be really cool, but I am like super out of my depth. Um, the one thing that I, I wish I had spent more time on at design school was kind of refining my sketching. Right. And like that is, <clears throat> I think if you're going to be an industrial designer, that's like a foregone, like you have to be able to sketch. Like, mm. and it is way easier to get work if you've got a good sketchbook, basically. And so from there, I was like, okay, I'm potentially not the right kind of candidate for those kind of jobs. Like, looking at their stuff and seeing, like, a, I remember one of them was like a, um, a container for carrying hearts for heart transplant yeah, patients and, and like these you know these beautiful sketches and I was like I actually don't know if that is the kind of doing the form of the object is the bit that I enjoy the most like I enjoy mm. the kind of concept that comes before that but getting into one of those studios as a graduate um, you definitely have to come through from the bottom and you're probably going to be the one banging out the iterative sketches oh, wow. yeah. to get to that next level. Mm. So it's probably a bit different now. Like I probably have more of a chance now in getting in somewhere <laughs> like that. Um, but from there, I was like, okay, I think I need to kind of do my own thing. Mm. Not that I was thinking that after the meeting. After the meeting, I was just like, oh my God, what am I going to do with my life? But after kind of this was during a road trip um, that I was on in the States and 
And this is where we came up with the idea for Apollo towards the end of that road trip. And I think kind of just being on that, not having finished university mm. and having nothing planned after that, like zero, yeah. um, I was, it was kind of a good chance to kind of switch my brain off for a little while. And then I guess it's kind of like similar to what Sagmeister does is that the idea came because I wasn't thinking about anything else. Mm. So yeah, in that, in that sense, my career is totally different to what I expected it to be. But then from then to now is totally different as well. So, and then I'd kind of, and there's been a bunch of different things in between. So yeah, again, I think it's that kind of keeping things moving and changing is really mm. useful. Um, having kids definitely made me, you know, there was a period there where I really had to go, hang on, I need to actually be making money because I need to feed these human beings who rely mm. on me. So there was like a period there where I had to kind of stop and go, okay, I can't just do these like mm. little arts projects and think that I can survive. Yeah. Um, but even that kind of, I went and worked with my dad's company. Um, he makes prefabricated panels for construction. Mm. And so I was learning about prefabrication and construction and and like architectural drawings and how to read them and and then that was has become really useful for what I'm doing at the moment in software and understanding like construction processes for mm. large scale construction and infrastructure projects. So everything kind of everything you learn along the way is useful in some way. Like it's mm. nothing's kind of wasted when you're learning. So yeah, it's it's different to what I planned, but um, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable with with where I'm at. I mean, I'm sure I'd I'd be equally as happy if I had have got into IDO and was now like a design director there. Like, <laughs> although I'd be stuck in San Francisco during a pandemic, which doesn't sound that great. But, but yeah, I just kind of there's there's always different things to kind of different ways to look at mm. what you're doing. So ha having gone through all of that, what would you, what, if you could give one advice to someone who was, who, who might be just starting out design school, right? Thinking they're gonna be, uh, you know, one of those designers, you know, um, or might not have that strong of an idea on what to do. Uh, what would you, what would you say to him or, or her? Um, I'd definitely say keep sketching because that's really useful. Um, and I'd say don't, like when I came out, I, it was like, I was thinking oh, I was an industrial designer in New Zealand. There's only, you know, you can only work for Fisher and Paykel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's not true. Like, well, it's potentially true in one way in that, you know, being a industrial designer, there are very few jobs in New Zealand, but using the skills that you learn doing industrial design, mm. there are lots of different things, like it's applicable to a lot of different things. Mm. So, you know, now that I've sort of started looking at 
getting into UX and UI design, particularly the UX side. Um, and I was reading up, you know, I just started this with no experience. Mm. And reading up on it more and more, a lot of people are saying that it's quite easy for people to transition from industrial design to UX mm. design because you're still thinking about a user and how they use something and what the process is and how do you make mm. it really simple and comfortable for them in a virtual versus physical way. Mm. So, um, but the main thing that I kind of learned from design school was just kind of get stuck in as hard as you can because there's so much to learn and having that access to people who have the experience in the industry and are just going to sit there and talk you through it and help you is so valuable in the long mm. run and I did tutoring afterwards and you know it's it's terrible it shouldn't be like this but I definitely engaged way more with the students who were engaged yeah like the ones who were engaging I wouldn't give them and you know I'm sure a better teacher probably would but you just get energy from people who are giving yeah. you energy and so um, if you want to get like the best out of the tutors because they are probably like the best resource that you have at design mm. school um, you got to make sure you do the work so 100% I, I really enjoy what you're so one of the things that I one of the messages that I'm kind of hearing is like almost don't let what you've done before be like a limiter for you for you when you access kind of future options like that speaks to me quite a, quite a lot and I see a lot of people who's like I am I'm not that I have no experience in that but I'm like dude you you were a lawyer you know you're so good at communication and writing yeah. that's like 80% transferable to doing this you know that kind of thing and also I really relate to that there's that weird moment towards the end of university you're you're not quite in the real world but you're kind of starting to think about it where you, where you just have this uh, space for actually I can do whatever I want right now yeah do you know what I mean like totally yeah <laughs> you're young and you're kind of you got the whole world in front yeah. of you and yeah there's like yeah the world's your oyster but but you're also kind of like oh, I don't I don't know anyone I don't know yeah. anything it's yeah it's it's the hump to get over but mm. yeah you just got to kind of keep keep mm. grinding into it really mm. and it doesn't need to be what what I kind of found with university was that I just it, when I realized I was doing the right thing was when I realized that I was enjoying doing the work mm. like it didn't feel like doing all-nighters although they suck and you don't want to do them yeah. it wasn't the end of the world like it was like I'm just going to do this to get it in because I think this is going to work like this is a good idea mm. um, should have started this like three weeks ago but you know yeah, every, everyone does exactly <laughs> the same thing no matter how many times you tell yourself oh. that you're not going to yeah. it's just yeah human beings I reckon yeah um, it, it actually links to another question that I had for you earlier which was like you seem to have picked up a lot of different skills and worked in a lot of different industries in your career 
and that what I imagine that would also open you up to a lot of people asking you to do different kinds of things and work on different kinds of projects and even at like a much earlier stage in my career like you can't do all of those projects you just get spread out too thin and you mm. develop no specialties and you end up you know how do you choose to work on projects that you that you want to work on if that makes sense how do you choose the ones that you want to work on um, and how do you choose the ones that you say no to i guess it's the same question depends how much work i've got on i guess <laughs> If I don't have any work on that, I just say yes to anything. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think just through experience, mm. you kind of learn where your skills lie. Like, you know, I've, I've done stuff like built websites and I know I can build a website. Like that's not an issue. I'm just not that good at it. Mm. Like that's not really what... And so... I kind of know that, okay, now that I've done that, I now know that's yeah. something that you'd be way better spending that money on someone else. You'll get, you'll get a, maybe you'll get the same res result. They're just going to be able to do it faster than I can. Mm. And um, I guess, and I guess that's kind of where it comes is like going, okay, what, am I doing something here that there are other people who are kind of better qualified to do not not necessarily that oh i should give everything to everyone else because it, there's always someone who's better qualified than you but sometimes it's just like how much time am i going to have to work spend learning how to use this new software program mm. um you know building up you know doing practice you know by the time i get to that have i already burned through mm. you know i've estimated that this is going to take me two weeks is that a week and a half's worth of work there and then i'm going to have an extra week that I'm not actually getting paid and that's when you kind of go okay so it's actually costing me money mm. to do it even though even though you might not be getting paid during that period of time it's kind of like this is kind of above and beyond what I'm capable of yeah. doing or willing to learn um, so yeah there's been a few things like that some kind of graphic design projects I'm like I did a, a big report document, which like I enjoyed doing, but after doing it, I was like, what I should have done is kind of design directed this and hired someone else to do the, the um, InDesign work because I'm just not, I don't use it every day. And I'm just not fast enough. Mm -hmm. Certain, like once you get into the flow of that sort of stuff, you can bash out the pages, but that kind of, startup period was just like yeah. slow and painful yeah um so yeah that's kind of where i'm getting to now it's like i can just there's certain stuff that i'm just like you you'll be better off just getting someone else to do this like i'll, I'll help you i'll mm. give you some i'll kind of consult for free if you want um but yeah find find someone who's kind of got the skills to mm. But then there's other stuff like um, where it's where I'll kind of go, okay, this is a new thing. However, I've kind of always just wanted to learn how to do this. Yeah. So this is an opportunity to do that. And even if that kind of costs you a little money, um, it's a different proposition. It's a different proposition because it's kind of fun. Mm. Uh, it's when it stops being fun and you're not getting paid <laughs> that 
that it's like oh, yeah God, this, sucks. <laughs> this sucks yeah yeah the self-awareness like over time and trial and error is i think key for anyone um and you you have to kind of try it to know yeah right? there, there's no way you could yeah there's no way you could know this without the experience like mm. coming out of university you, you're never going to know what you're good at and what you're not yeah mm. because you're 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 only doing a finite number of projects while you're mm. at university um and i when after I, my daughter was born i started working with my dad and then i was like this is getting a bit repetitive i need to find something else to do and so i went and talked to a um like a consultant yeah. to kind of go okay what what should i do next and she basically said you know and i assumed i'd go in and say this is what i do like a, this is my degree and she'd just go oh yeah you should try these jobs and these jobs and she basically said to me if anyone tells you that they know all the jobs yeah they're lying and when you think about it, it's like of course like even within something like industrial design there's a hundred different Mm. varieties of industrial design um, and so that kind of what she got me to do was go out and talk to either people I knew who were doing interesting stuff or talk to people I knew who knew other people who were doing interesting stuff and just call them and say can I sit down and talk to mm. you and I talked to like a guy who builds museum exhibits and a, an architect and a because I didn't really know what I wanted to do next um, and talk to designers and um, and it was kind of a really interesting process of kind of going now that I've had this kind of life experience and know mm -hmm. kind of what I'm where my skills lie and where I what I find more difficult it made it easier to kind of go that was a great conversation thanks for that mm. I'm not going to go down that path. But again, you know, straight out from university, I still think it'll be a really useful process. You're just less likely to know whether it's going to fit you well or not. But yeah. That's the same with anything, though. I, man, I, I resonate with that completely. I, you know, I dropped out of engineering um, and I didn't know what to do. And I, I just, happened to find myself in a place for the first time ever where I was talking to real people who were doing stuff like like policemen, chefs, lawyers, doctors, all these kind of people because um, I was working in an amusement park and uh, up until that point my idea of what a designer did was or what a doctor did what, it, what I, it was just based off TV it was yeah. based off like little bits and pieces yeah, of things yeah, that yeah. I've seen. Oh, a caricature. Exactly. Yeah. A designer sit in a white space with a screen and like everything's minimal. And they have black glasses. Yeah, it's very clean. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, entrepreneurs are, are very, you know, like, like this and yeah. uh, all these kind of ideas. And when I met these real, like, because, you know, in high school, you don't really meet more that much people and at uni either as well. I started to get much more of a, a kind of textured um, sense of what these careers mean, mm. and oh, it's like oh, okay, like you're a policeman, but you go surfing every day. It's like a different, yeah, you know. It's not just 
you know, police. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, a, even looking at, like, someone like Heston Blumenthal, mm. I would say he is, like, right on the border of being a chef and being a designer. Like, he, everything he does with his food is designed. Like, it, it's so precise and scientific. Mm. Um, and there's lots of, there's lots of things like that where it's like you'd never think like I, I never would have imagined that thinking about food could kind of cross over with design but then you look at it sort of more and more and there's these like you know restaurants there's one in Shanghai called Ultraviolet which is like a fully kind of experiential um, restaurant where the walls are um, LED panels and they and there's one table within the restaurant and the walls change as the different courses come out mm. and they change like the scent within the room and the lighting change like everything changes and it's like that is that's a designed experience and so and i kind of feel like people are more and more craving i mean it's obviously with the pandemic it kind of makes the stuff more difficult now unfortunately but before that and i'm sure after it's going to be those kind of experiences that people want and you know a good experience is generally something that is considered and designed and so you know all these things have a design component to them so yeah there's just yeah, there's so many things that are designed and then yeah like you've been doing with medical you know, medical equipment is, again, you kind of, someone has to come up with this stuff, like the crazy mm -hmm. ways of, of performing heart surgery, you know, using a mm -hmm. thing that's threaded up through someone's leg, like, yeah, it's medicine, but the equipment you use is mm -hmm. all design. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's a kind of pervasive, um, yeah, it's kind of hard to, it's everywhere, but not in a, mm. like you don't hire a designer to do it. You just design while you're this other thing. Mm. So. Absolutely, I, I, I'm thinking back to um, a lecture that I saw a while ago, and I can't, remember, I can't even remember what the lecture was about, but it started off with this guy talking about, okay, if you drew a pie graph of everything that you could possibly know in the universe, right? How much of that pie graph do you know that you know? Yeah, right. You know? And then, and then it's like, well, probably like a fraction of one percent, right? And then he was like, okay, now you draw that in the pie graph. It's like a sliver. It's like, okay, now how much of this pie graph are things that you know that you don't know? You know, so you know that brain surgery exists but you know that you know nothing about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, so that gives you a, another, another chunk, right? But then by far the third category he pointed to, which was things that you don't know, which you don't even know that you don't know, <clears throat> is like the vast majority of yeah. things on that pie graph, yeah. right? But I think people in general uh, usually over, what do you, what's that word? Um, 
overvalue the things that they know that they know. Yeah. You know, as like the full picture of the world, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and they try to make decisions based off of um, just just that. You know, um, I, I've done these things before, so the things that I can do in the next future are probably these things. Whereas, kind of the experience that you and I went through of kind of going outside of that sliver and actually talking to other people, experiencing other things, going mm -hmm. traveling, it kind of forces you to encounter that huge other bit and. You know, and once you see it, once you see Heston Blumenthal, it's like, oh yeah, of course. Like, yeah, 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 totally. What? <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah I, I'm kind of always fascinated by <clears throat> how some, some people can't kind of see why other people do things differently to them. Mm. <clears throat> and it's like a real kind of particularly cross-culturally, it's like one one society does this thing in this way and another society does it in that way mm. and there's generally a reason that they do it in that way you're just so used to the way that you do it it's hard to imagine it done any other way <clears throat> but i feel like there's kind of so much to be learned from that like i remember um one of the more interesting ones i saw was i'm sure you came across max fisher at um, yeah, yeah. design school talking about her time in, um, uh, where was she? Not Bangladesh, not Borneo, somewhere in Southeast Asia. Um, and going to this town and they had street food and the food was served on banana leaves and the drinks were served in like these clay cups and but what she kind of soon realized is that you know you drink your drink and then you just threw the cup onto the ground and it would break but it was unfired clay so it meant when the rain came yeah. it just washed away and then the banana leaves everyone was just throwing onto the ground which was like okay this is interesting but then the, <clears throat> the elephants would come through the town like the working elephants mm. and just eat the banana leaves mm. that were lying on the ground and it's like that's such a you know in new zealand if you did the same thing like had a clay cup and a banana leaf and you smashed it and threw it away everyone would be like why is this happening like this is crazy but you change the context and suddenly it makes total sense yeah wow and there's so so many things like that that i find really fascinating and i'd love to kind of be able to see more of mm. and again like the um uh david David Chang's TV series Ugly Delicious. I don't know if you've seen that. He's a um, he's a Korean American chef, brought up in New York. Um, he does this kind of show about all these sort of food that's ugly but delicious. Um, but he goes over to China, and he's talking to a a Western woman who lives in Beijing. And she's like a massive kind of she's a food critic and like passionate about Chinese food <clears throat> and she takes them to this kind of very um, kind of traditionally Chinese restaurant big round table and she orders all these kind of types of food and the she's like you're not gonna like this you're not you're not gonna be able to eat this I really like it because I've learned to like it and 
everyone in China likes it because they've grown up eating mm. like this, but you don't have the experience to understand why it is the way it is. And it's things like um, uh, kind of like tendons, right. which are kind of like apparently like a very chewy, slimy texture. And she's like, there's nothing in Western culture that we would eat that is anything even close to this. So you're just going to find this really bizarre and quite disgusting. And it's right, he can't eat it. But then when you sort of understand the context of, you know, mm. yep, they're using that as a, as a traditional food they've used forever for these reasons, suddenly mm. it makes more sense and you mm. stop thinking about it from the point of view of why would anyone eat this? This is disgusting mm. to go, oh, that's why they're eating it because of these reasons and this is how they cooked it and this is the tradition. Mm. So I think there's like, yeah, there's so much fascinating stuff to learn in that, in that sense. For sure, it's been, it's been fascinating to actually see uh, one of the one of the modern food trends of bubble tea, like just sweep across, because it's like actually a strange concept, even for me, to have chewy things inside a drink. Yeah, you know, and a lot of people struggled with it, but over time. Yeah, I find it weird when they hit the back of your throat. <laughs> it's kind of like. <laughs> yeah. All right, Brad. I got one last question for you. Yeah. Um. Do you have a piece of design for us, physical product or virtual, it could be a service that you'd give a nine out of 10 or more on and why? I was thinking about this really hard and I was going, is there, what do I own? I was like looking all around my house, going like, oh, I really like this knife, I really like this thing. Um, but what I, eventually came to is actually my watch um, which my wife gave to me as a wedding present um, and this is the Omega Speedmaster which was designed in the late 50s um, but kind of circling back to the start of the conversation this is the watch that um, the astronauts wore to the moon yeah um, and what I really like about this watch is that it's it's kind of you can you can tell that it's a kind of a valuable watch because it's kind of got that aesthetic to it, but it it isn't like one of those kind of petite Philip yeah. watches that look like they're kind of some sort of um, sort of Swiss cuckoo clock or something like with crazy stuff going on like there's and it, and it also on the other side doesn't look like some of the more kind of hardcore Rolex watches which look mm. like you know they're from the inside of a fighter jet it's kind of got a nice balance but like I can do I can do really accurate timing and I can do all that sort of stuff but it's also totally manual it's stainless steel which means that it's kind of relatively unbreakable um, and you know I, I, I like my technology I you know I try to keep my phone reasonably up to date um, you know I buy new computers whenever I can mm. but I've never been able to buy a smartwatch because I was like then I wouldn't wear this watch. Mm, so I yeah. figured like that's kind of a, for me that's 
kind of a sign that something obviously works well mm. that you know I'm willing to give away some of those what would I'm sure they'd be convenient I'm sure there's a lot of gimmicks on smart watches as well but um, yeah it just kind of it kind of works for my aesthetic like it's not it's technical but it's not flashy but it's it's also got this kind of history of being tied to something that I really like in the space program and kind of being able to sort of have a conversation around that so yeah Omega Speedmaster is my my call for this conversation oh, that's that's beautiful man I, and certainly it feels like one of those I've noticed it um, before it, it, now hearing the the story behind it, it it feels like it's one of those objects that would for you increase in value over time you know um, potentially that um, you potentially could have a life you know beyond you know many generations down the line yeah kind of thing and there's something nice about like this doesn't like there was there's no concept of inbuilt obsolescence with an object like this like no. it's built to last forever and there's something like there's not much in my life that's like that anymore like you know everything has so much to do with technology that yeah. there's so few things that you're like oh yeah i'll just have that forever like that's just yeah that's just going to be my thing that i have like i've got a few a few tools that i've got like like a you know a nice set of chisels or a s-wing hammer that kind of stuff which you're like i'll probably never replace this but in terms of like a really like something quite valuable and kind of personal and something that has a considered design to it. This is kind of one of the few things that I actually mm. own. So, mm. and it's completely opposite of how, you know, probably one of the most expensive the things that most people own now is their smartphone, and the best that that's ever going to look is right out of the box. Yeah, totally. You know? And it's just it's just downhill from there. Yeah. You know? Whereas this is like sixty plus years old, mm. and it's still kind of as valid as ever so. it's, it's a treasure man mm. yeah brad it's always great to talk to you cheers nice being here thank you so much let's have a part two at the end of the year or something yeah good idea <laughs> see how the project turned out yeah